Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today we discuss religious harmony, a persistent challenge in Indonesia, whether between adherents of different religions or within each religious community. During the early years of the democratic transition, thousands of Indonesians were killed in large-scale interreligious conflicts in several provinces in the east of the country. Long after these conflicts have ended, the construction of new places of worship remains an ongoing source of tension throughout the archipelago. One response of the Indonesian government has been to establish interreligious harmony forums in all districts and provinces, known by their abbreviation FKUB in Indonesian. To discuss the issue of religious harmony and how such interreligious harmony forums have performed in tackling religious disputes and promoting tolerance, I'm joined today by Isan Ali Fauzi, director of Pusad Paramedina, the Centre for the Study of Religion and Democracy. Isan has written extensively on these FKUB, and his organisation Pusad Paramedina has established a national database to provide an evidence base for policy decisions about these forums. Today's episode is the latest in the Policy in Focus series of Talk Indonesia episodes, supported by the Knowledge Sector Initiative, or KSI, a partnership between the Australian and Indonesian governments that aims to improve the use of evidence in development policymaking. Policy in Focus episodes appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talk Indonesia episodes. Issan, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. Sure, thanks for having me, Dave. Oh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Can I start by asking you, what have been the typical points of friction between and within different religious communities in Indonesia? Well, of course, you know about this because you studied what was going on in places like Poso and Ambon and Aceh, certainly. But in the last 20 years after Reform RC, the reform in 1989, the typical uh, interreligious conflict in Indonesia took the form of dispute over places of worship, particularly the dispute over the plan to build churches in western part of Indonesia. That is in the places where Muslims are the majority religious communities, such as in Sinkil in the province of Aceh, in western most part of Indonesia and other places like in the provinces of Banten and West Java, which is very close to Jakarta. Or uh, alternatively, it took the form of dispute over the other plan to build a mosque, for example, in the provinces in eastern part of the country where Christians are the majority populations, such as in Papua or East Nusa Tenggara. What is said about this new development is that this worst case examples are being copied in other regions, either for uh, payback or because of the politicization of that issue at the local level. So, for example, certain Muslim communities, for example, in Aceh or in West Java, have refused to allow the construction of churches because they think, they see, they read there are Christians communities in Papua 
or in East Nusa Tenggara that have rejected the plan to construct mosque, for example. Likewise, some Christian communities in East Nusa Tenggara have not allowed the construction of mosque uh, in their area because the difficulties faced by Christians in Bogor or Bekasi in West Java. So there is a kind of payback or politicization of that issue by local people. So rather than community deliberations and tolerance, the emphasis in this area is on threat and revenge because of what was happening in other places in the country. That's with regard to inter-religious conflict or dispute. On the other side, the typical conflict that happened internally between the Indonesian Muslims took the form of sectarian conflict between the Sunni Muslim, who are the majority in Indonesia, and the Shia Muslim and the Ahmadi Muslim, who are minorities. Shia Muslims are the Muslim sect who believe that after the Prophet Muhammad, Ali Ali bin Abi Talib, who actually the cousins of our Prophet Muhammad, should replace him as the first caliph. But it didn't happen. So those people who believe in Ali are called Shia Muslims. The Ahmadis are the followers of the Mirza Ghulam Ahmad in Indo-Pakistan who believe that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad is not only reformer but also another messenger after Muhammad. The two beliefs are in contradictions with the Sunni Muslim who believe that the last prophet in Islam and in religion is Muhammad. But the new development here is that this, uh, what we call sectarian conflict between Muslim, like the anti-Shia attack in Sampang, for example, in East Java, in Madura, in 2012, or the anti-Ahmadi attack in Chikasik, the province of Banten, in 2011, this time took some life, which had never happened before. I think that's basically the typical type of inter-religious or sectarian religious conflict in Indonesia. Now, you mentioned those attacks in Sampang in East Java and Chikusik that did cause the loss of life back in 2011 and 2012. As we've seen disputes more recently over, over places of worship and also uh, anti-Shia and anti-Akhmadi protests within Indonesia's Muslim community, have we seen further loss of life since those incidents? Uh, no, loss of life, no, but there are several disputes, but the cost is not as high as in 2011-2012 in Madura or in Chikasik. It was a fascinating dynamic that you mentioned there where incidents that affect one religious community's ability to construct a place of worship then lead to the other religious community in a different part of the country also refusing to accommodate places of worship from the other community. If we go beyond just looking at the incidents and look at the underlying attitudes, what sort of data do we have, you know, from public opinion surveys and the like in Indonesia about religious tolerance or intolerance? And how does Indonesia compare in this regard to other majority Muslim countries? Yeah, we have survey data on this. And since Indonesia is a Muslim majority country, surveyors or pollsters usually measure the level of Muslim intolerance toward non-Muslims by using an index created from questions assessing Muslims' objections toward several things such as, you know, the non-Muslim holding of religious event in their neighborhood, 
the objection of Muslim toward the building of non-Muslim places of worship against in their neighborhood, non-Muslim as major, for example, or regions, uh, this is political intolerance, non-Muslim as vice president, and of course, uh, non-Muslim as governors, as we saw in Jakarta election in 2016, and of course, non-Muslim as president, for example. So based on the answers they got from these questions, the pollsters then classify Muslim into those who are, quote-unquote, very intolerant, intolerance, tolerance, and very tolerant. That's one of the classifications made by posters usually. And I think this is a normal practice in opinion pollings. So, for example, the latest one, I think the most important one, based on their survey, I think in 2017 or 18, Marcus Meister and Burhanuddin Muhtadi, I think, two political observers from Australian National University conclude that around 30% of Muslims Indonesians are very intolerant, around 17 or 18 intolerant, around 20% of them are tolerant and 30-something percent are very tolerant. So they conclude that overall the percentage of Indonesian Muslims holding strong or some intolerant views toward non-Muslims in 2017 and 2018 stood average at 47-48% of them. But this doesn't mean that Indonesia has extraordinarily high levels of intolerance toward non-Muslims or toward minorities. Because if we look at surface of intolerance toward Muslims, for example, in majority Christian countries, made by institutions such as Pew Research Center, we'll find a more or less the same percentage. Maybe lower the percentage in countries in Western Europe or in advanced democratic countries. But again, this is about perceptions and views, which is different from actions or acting intolerantly. In democratic countries, and Indonesia is aspired to be one of them, the state has to be able to control and punish intolerant actions, if they are violent actions. But we also have ethnographic data, actually, which suggests the trend of intolerance in Indonesia, including the relative high degree of intolerance and its political ramifications. So, for example, I think published by Melbourne University, Sandra, uh, for example, argues that the intolerant narrative that dominated the governorial election in 2016 in Jakarta were an amplifications of what many ordinary Indonesians were already experiencing in their daily life. Of course, uh, in, in mentioning Sandra there, uh, I presume Sandra Hamid. Yeah. She mentioned, for example, one very intriguing example. While we Indonesian Muslims were familiar with practice such as congratulating our Christian friends during Christmas Day a decade ago, now the same practice is started to be, what is it, objected or criticized. Uh, Sandra argues that the practice of othering non-Muslims in Indonesia has sharpened in the last decade. And this has allowed for what she called the normalization of intolerance in everyday life in Indonesia, and it has subsequently affected electoral politics.
There's so many aspects of that answer I could pick up on. I wonder, though, if I could return to the point you mentioned about the responsibility of the state to prevent religious communities from acting on intolerance, um, whatever views they might hold. And of course, this leads to a broader question of how has the state approached this idea of each religious community existing harmoniously alongside each other and being free to practice their religion? How are those issues regulated in Indonesia by the state? Well, normatively, we have a constitution that guarantees the freedom of religion and belief but we also have some regulations that in practice have complicated the realization of the freedom of religion and belief in Indonesia. So, for example, uh, we have state ideology called Pancasila, whose first principles, which is belief in one God, has in practice disbanded atheism in the country. The other things, also the government will continue to deny this, in Indonesia, there are state-recognized religion, and there are only six of them, which is Islam, Catholicism, Protestantism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and later uh, Confucianism, which means that only the adherents of these six religions are entitled to representations and state services, or there has been state favoritism toward them, so to speak, in comparison to other, to atheists, for example, and to minorities group. And don't forget, we also have what we call blasphemy law, the blasphemy law enacted in 1969, which in reality provide the legitimacy for the state through the court to define the true meaning of one religion when there is dispute over this meaning of religion. In our term, the state has the, the legitimacy to decide whether a religious sect such as Ahmadiyah and uh, Shia is a deviant sect. So all this means that while the existence of constitutional right to religious freedom is often and again and again proclaimed by the government, actually concrete legal protections for religious freedom is in reality quite limited for minority groups and including in these minority groups are Muslim minorities, such as the Shia and the Ahmadis that I mentioned before. You mentioned places of worship are a major source of friction. How does the Indonesian government regulate permission to establish a place of worship? With regard specifically to religious harmony, we call it here kerukunan, uh, kerukunan from the word rukun, harmony, we have what they call, the government called, joint regulation of the ministers of religious affairs and minister of home affairs. And it is published in 2006. We call it Peraturan Bersama Menteri, which basically instructed local government heads on maintaining interreligious harmony and the empowerment of interreligious harmony forum. Forum Kerukunan Umat Beragama, and also including in that instruction is concerning the construction of places of worship. And in this 2006 regulations, maintaining interreligious harmony is perceived as the collective responsibility of both the government and religious communities. The government here is represented by the governor 
in the provincial level or region and major at the regency and city level. Uh, on the other hand, the aspirations, the views of religious communities are represented by religious leaders in the Interreligious Harmony Forum. Was the formation of FKB, the Interreligious Harmony Forum, was carried out by the community but facilitated by the local government. So the representation of each religion, uh, remember we have six state official religions, is proportional to the number of the adherents of each religion in certain area, in certain region or provinces, with a minimum of one person for each religion in each province or city or regency. I think another important substance of the 2006 regulations is it specified that there are 21 members of the Interreligious Harmony Forum at the provincial level and only 17 at the regency or city level. On the What about their functions? On the provincial level, the Interreligious Harmony Forum has four main tasks. One, conducting dialogue with religious leaders and followers. Second, accommodating the aspiration of religious community organizations and the community. The third task is formulating policy recommendations on religious harmony. And the last one, the fourth, is making effort to educate the community of laws. Uh, in, in Indonesia, we call it the socialisasi aturan, meaning you educate people about the existence of these regulations related to the religious harmony. That's the four tasks for the FKOB at the provincial level, but more importantly, is task for the FKOB, for the Interreligious Harmony Forum, at the regency and city level, which is one step below the province. The FKOB at this level is given the same task as the FKOB at the provincial level, but with the additional responsibility of, and this is very crucial, providing written recommendations on request for building a places of worship. This last section is very crucial, at least for two reasons. I think one, most interreligious harmony forums are at the regency and city level, because only how many provinces are there in Indonesia? Maybe 34. So there are a lot of FKOBs are at the city and regency level, and they are closer to the public, which means that uh, they are closer to the area where religious conflict seems to happen. And secondly, they have additional tasks to provide recommendations on the house of worship, which could be very controversial. And sometimes they are indeed controversial. And the third, their last task, which is providing written recommendations, has been very vulnerable to be politicized by politicians during the elections. But this is the new one. The regulation is the new one the product of the democracy period in recent history, because under the new order period, there was no room for the community as uh, participate in this way. The regulation that we have before used a, what we call a security approach and strongly emphasized public order. And we have published uh, research on this and published by your center, actually, Melbourne University in practice, Communities wanting to build a place of worship had to obtain a recommendation from the what we call here Laksusda. Laksusda means Pelaksana Khusus Daerah, Special 
territorial administrator, which is an extension of the authoritarian regime at that time. I mean, if I were to quickly summarize, then you have this 2006 joint regulation between the Minister of Religious Affairs, the Minister of Home Affairs, that forms in every province, every, you mentioned Regency, I would say district and city, uh, an interreligious harmony forum. And at the district or city level, these harmony forums are meant to provide input on whether or not local religious communities can establish a place of worship. Is that right? Yeah, that's true. And so what was the context to this regulation being passed in 2006? Why did the government suddenly decide to establish this procedure for places of worship to be approved and opened? Well, I said before that, we have the Joint Ministerial Decree number 1969, which heavily pro-military aspect of handling the religious conflict. So this time, people participant is stronger in these new regulations through the FKUB. If one of these FKUB, these interreligious harmony forums, recommend that a place of worship should be allowed to be constructed or uh, alternatively that it shouldn't be allowed. Uh, is that recommendation binding or who makes the final decision? Actually, it is not binding. The decision whether to allow the establishment of new house of worship is in the head of the major or the government in the provincial level. And there are three things that they need to consider before giving any permissions. One is the recommendation from the Office of Minister of Religion Secondly, the IMB. IMB is Izin Surat Bangunan, meaning the, the permission to have a new building. And the third one is the recommendation from the FKUB, from the Interreligious Harmony Forum. So it's not actually binding. So it depends on the local government whether to uh, give the permission or not. But sometimes they do not want to take that responsibility because of the reluctance to Muslim communities or the objection to that. And for that reason, they blame the FKUB for not uh, being able to write any recommendation on that, on whether it is possible to have a new house of worship. So basically, they can make the decision on that, but because there are unwillingness to provide that, they blame the FKUB for not uh, being able to do so. That's also a tricky thing concerning these regulations. So uh, it's not uncommon then, by the sound of it, that a local government might come to a different decision to what the recommendation of the FKOB, the Interreligious Harmony Forum, was? Yeah, in my piece for the conference in ANU, I studied cases in Kupang, uh, which is the capital city of East Nusa Tenggara, and that very recommendation by the FKOB to permit or not to permit the erection of new mosque was manipulated by the politicians who participated in the local elections. He made promises to Muslim communities that if they choose him, they will provide for them the, the permission of new house of worship. And because of that, some Christians group in the local area objected to them because FKOB has not released any recommendation on that. And the local NGO there objected to the participations of the chairman of the FKOB himself, not the FKOB as the organizations that support the politicians. Uh, and at the end, it ended with controversy only after maybe a decade. It resulted in the new building of House of Worship in 2013 because of the existence of new major who run as the 
independent candidate. You mentioned at provincial level these interreligious harmony forums have 21 members and at district or city level 17 members and those are divided proportionally, I think you said, between the religious communities in each area. Yeah. Um, who in practice do the members of these forums tend to be? Are they religious scholars? Are they preachers? Are they just local community members? Who ends up in these forums? We established the database on this and our database suggests that the majority of them are state civil services, uh, about 30 or 35% of them. And the other one, religious leaders, and all these small numbers of them are activists of interfaith communities. So one of our recommendations is to enlarge the participation of the potential members of the FKUBs uh, later on. This is drawing on, uh, I believe you have a database of around a third of the 500 or so FKUB across Indonesia. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the first database, actually. We set the database up because we believe in the evidence-based policymaking, and now we don't have systematic evidence on the FKUB before uh, we make it, not even the central government. So we have to start from somewhere as we can. And now on our database, we at Pusar Paramadina have collected data on 167 FKUBs across the country, 24 provinces, 30 cities, and 110 districts. Is this database something you'd be hoping the government would take on and administer? They are actually taking up the database because now we are expanding the database in collaboration with the Minister of Religious Affairs. It's fascinating to hear. I wouldn't have necessarily guessed that a third of the members of these interreligious harmony forums are civil servants. What other sort of characteristics do you see in the the composition of these FKUBE by looking at your database? Uh, basically, they are male. Uh, in our database, which we collect from 168 FKUBs across the country, both in provincial and city regency level, 90-91% of them are male. 50-59 uh, years old, not so many female members of the FKUB, but one of them is the head of the FKUB at the provincial level at the East Nusa Tenggara, which is Nice to hear and surprising. Going back to two things you've mentioned, one being that the local governments have on occasion politicised the recommendations of the interreligious harmony forums about places of worship, the other being that around a third of the members are are civil servants. So how would you characterise the relationship between local governments and these interreligious harmony forums? Are they essentially controlled by the local governments? Is it a way that these local governments uh, apportion patronage, for instance, to people in their area? Or are they quite an independent force in policymaking and and something that the local government then has to react to? We don't have the decisive data to answer your questions. We only have the data that most of the provinces and city level uh, or uh, regional level has the FKUB now which means that all local government is aware of the PBM of the 2006 regulations, and they already set up the FKUB in their respective areas. So from the latest data from the Minister of Religious Affairs and Minister of Home Affairs, we already have all FKUBs in around the country, 
except in two regency in West Sumatra, and another two regencies are in Papua and West Papua, uh, which means that the local government are aware of their mandate to establish the FKUB, but they only establish the forum, the Interreligious Harmony Forum, but they don't care about them. They don't provide enough budget for their activities, which actually didn't clearly mention in the regulations. And by the way, this is only joint ministerial regulations, which is not that high with regard to the hierarchy of the regulations in Indonesia. But uh, there are a varieties of FKUB's relationship with the local government. Some are close enough, uh, which means that they have enough support from the local government, uh, but some are not. In certain places, even the establishment of FKUB is rejected by the local government. So I remember one feedwork that I made in 2012, and we see the incumbent major in the city of Sampang as the place where there was the anti-Shia movement in 2012. In one electoral campaign, he said that as far as I'm alive as a major in this city, there will be no FKUB established here because one of the functions of FKUB is to provide written recommendation on the house of worship, while there will be no house of worship in this area except mosque, because this is a local tradition in, here in Madura. So one of the reasons why the FKUB couldn't be established in the first place is the intolerance, is the fear that there will be a house of worship of a minority group in that area. So coming back to your questions, what is the relationship between the local government and the FKUBs? There are uh, various, actually, uh, Dave. But we have good cases, for example, when Pak Jokowi, our president now, was the major of Solo Raya in Central Java. He provided a very important support for the local FKUB. He, for example, made it easy for the uh, religious communities to provide permission to build a house of worship if the precondition for that is fulfilled already. Another example is the new regulations called Perwali Peraturan Wali Kota, regulation of the regions in Kupang, the one I mentioned before, which made it possible for the religious minorities to establish a house of worship even if their number is less than the necessary 60 persons. So, for example, in Kupang, the Buddhists in Kupang, the number of Buddhists in Kupang are only 25, 26 people, but because of their need of house of worship, the local FKUB has facilitated the building, even if their number are not enough as it is prescribed in the regulations. Yeah, obviously there's a very broad spectrum right through from the local government preventing the formation of a FKUB at all through to that last example of extending protection to a religious a very small religious minority in a, in a particular part of the country. But, uh, I mean, if I did push you to, to generalise across that spectrum of experiences, can we say that FKUB in, in general have been effective or, or ineffective in resolving religious disputes and, and promoting religious tolerance? Uh, how, how would you characterise their performance? Again, I say there are varieties of it. I think it depends on the challenges that they are facing what I mean by that is how plural are their societies in terms of religious affiliations. 
when they are plural societies, it's easier for the FKLB to manage the dispute over place of worship. So in Jakarta, in Solo, it would be easier to face the challenge because they will be getting support from the local government and NGOs at the same time. So it also depends on the internal cohesions of the members of the International Harmony Forum as interfaith forum. So they are not divided into their religious affiliations. And I think it also depends on the resources that they are receiving from the local government, budget, political support, as it was in the Jokowi's case in Solo, and also from civil society, how far they are getting organizational skill development, for example, discourse on pluralism. In Jakarta, there has been strong enough discourse on pluralism in comparison to, for example, in West Sumatra. I think that's the generalization of what we are seeing now. That actually very neatly links to one of the things you've written about these interreligious harmony forums was a book chapter out of an Indonesia update conference at the ANU where you looked at the way the FKOB had performed in handling two religious disputes, uh, one about construction of a mosque and the other about construction of a church. And I guess the striking thing to me there, with you mentioning civil society and local governments just now, is that in one of those disputes, it seemed to me that civil society played the key role, sort of interfaith, non-government organisation. In another of them, it seemed like it was an official within the local government who was more important to the resolution of the dispute than the FKOB. And so where you depict FKOB as being formed, as far as I understand, as sort of a way of giving communities a voice in decisions about religion. Um, how well do they really perform that function compared to the alternatives, you know, the alternatives being interfaith NGOs or just the local governments themselves? I think to answer your question, I think we really have to consider that government or state agencies in Indonesia is usually reluctant to take board policy and actions when it comes to controversial issues, especially with regard to religious issues. I don't know, it it has something to do with the state formation in Indonesia, where there was strong involvement of religious communities in that state making. So there must be societal elements to be involved in any issues with regard to religion. That's why FKOB is needed and why this regulation is erected in the first place. And secondly, with regard to NGOs or civil society organizations, I don't think we can compare their role as non-formal, non-state organizations to the role of or with the role of semi formal organization like FKOB, Dave. So my argument is that we have to deal with this FKOB, Interreligious Harmony Forum as part of the state, and NGO has to empower them, involve themselves with their activities and strengthen them uh, if we can. And I mean, on that point, do you have a sense of how interfaith or religious tolerance NGOs in Indonesia perceive FKOB, uh, these interreligious harmony forums? Uh, are they supportive of them? or even, uh, if not the NGOs themselves, even what the general public's perception is of these FKOB? 
We don't have the data on general public perception of FKUB. I don't think the majority of them are aware of the FKUBs of the Interregional Harmony Forum. What I mean by that is uh, the members of FKUB are not, you know, someone like leaders of neighborhood in Jakarta or in any other place in Indonesia, what we call the RTRW, uh, Dave. To RTRW, to the neighborhood leaders, they have interest in contacting them, in asking recommendation from them. Uh, so I think those people who are interested in FKUB and have any connection to FKUB may be our religious leaders. And I think the same conclusion could also be made with regard to the relationship between NGOs and the FKUB. Not enough NGOs are aware of FKUB, but specifically NGOs who are working on religious issues and on in the Harmony Forum, I think they are starting to be aware of the existence of the FKUB because the only options with regard to interreligious harmony in Indonesia is to deal with this 2006 regulations which contain in it a regulation on the interreligious harmony forum. So I think some NGOs started to work with them. I know precisely that the Asia Foundation has some partners who are working with the FKUB and also we have been doing uh, that for, I don't know, in the last 10 years or so. Some NGOs are very skeptical of them, which I understand why. But I think the only option is to take them very seriously because they are important organizations and uh, important forum. And the only regulations that deals with harmony in Indonesia, religious harmony in Indonesia, is 2006 regulation and which contain the role of the Interreligious Harmony Forum. That's an important point, I guess, that you're making there, that this is the only institution that is available as a semi-formal institution to tackle these issues. Yeah. Nevertheless, I mean, you've also highlighted a range of shortcomings of their functioning over the first 15 years or so that they've been established. Now, I know you personally and Pusad Paramedina as an organization have conducted a lot of research into looking at policy directions for interreligious harmony forums. And I know the day after we're recording this, you're in fact taking part in a policy forum with the Minister of Religious Affairs on these FKUB. Um, What are some of the key points that you put across to the government about what directions, what reforms you think are needed to make FKUB function more effectively? So our database has followed the 2006 regulations, which has three, uh, we could call clusters, uh, following COVID clusters. One is concerning the support of the FKUB from the local government. And we found out that the support that FKUB got from local government is uneven, very strong as I said before, very strong in some places, very weak in others, depending on blah, blah, blah. So... Our recommendation is to mandate the local government to support the FKUB. And it is not only in terms of the budget, but also in what we call mainstreaming religious harmony in various local government activities. So I think it's a good move to strengthen the regulations, not in the position of the joint ministerial, but say, for example, the presidential regulations. That concerning the support from the local government, not only to FKOB, but also to interreligious harmony activities in general. The second one is concerning the FKOB as institutions 
we know now that based on the database, the members of the Interreligious Harmony Forum are, as I said before, generally male of about 50 to 60 years old. They are limited to representative of religious communities with also limited capacity in conflict prevention and conflict management. So we recommend before in renewing the PBM 2006 to strengthen the procedure of the recruitment of the FKOB members. So it could include more female, more younger generations, and maybe more people from various backgrounds, including interfaith activists. So it is possible for the NGO activists, for example, to be members of the FKOB. And I think the third cluster of the 2006 regulations is concerning the prerequisite requirement for the establishment of a new house of worship. As we mentioned before, FKUB on the city and regency level have that task to provide the written recommendation on that issue. And our database suggests that the FKUBs on this level, on the city and regency levels, have been very busy with administrative task to provide uh, recommendations, which actually, according to the 2006 regulations, is the additional task for them. And because of that reason, they are now less active in providing avenues for religious dialogue, or they are less active as interfaith forums, as their name suggests, actually. So our recommendation is to quote-unquote transform FKUBs, the Interreligious Harmony Forum, especially on the city and regency level, from doing administrative stuff concerning permissions of the host of worship to their main task as interreligious forum, activating more dialogue between religious communities and that kind of stuff. So we call it in Bahasa Indonesia, penggerak kerukunan, the mover of the interreligious harmony not the administrator of interreligious harmony. So that's basically our recommendation how to strengthen the FKUB's leave. How prominent on the government's agenda is reform of FKUB? Do you think there's likely to be support for changes to their composition, the support they receive in their role? There have been discussion of that. Now our database is taken very seriously by the Minister of Religious Affairs. They have been thinking about reformulating the FKUB in terms of gender balance, for example, and also concerning the the main test of FKUB, especially on the city and regency level, to be more active as a dialogue provider activist than the administrator. In addition to that, they are also now starting to involve us and other NGOs to be more involved in strengthening the FKUBs in several places. So I think there is good chance for them to somehow revise the PBM before strengthening its status into the presidential regulations. Now, Isan, there's a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid we're well and truly out of time. Uh, Thanks so much for taking the time to share your insights with us today. It's been great. Sure, Dave. That was Isan Ali Fauzi, director of Pusad Paramedina, the Centre for the Study of Religion and Democracy. Keep an eye out for the Policy in Focus tagline for future instalments in the Policy in Focus series of Talking Indonesia. 
Policy and Focus episodes are edited by Eric Van Bemmel and Kelvin Param and appear periodically in alternate weeks to regular Talking Indonesia episodes. Don't forget, you can find the entire archive for free at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or wherever you get your podcasts. Talking Indonesia returns for the final episode of the year on 17 December with my co-host Dr. Charlotte Setiadi. Until then, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Bye for now. Thank you.